Hello and welcome to the podcast for Lansing Avenue Baptist Church in Jackson, Michigan. I'm Pastor Steve Sebring. I'd like to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen in to this week's message. Uh, just before I get into that, remind you that we do have contact information you can find on our website, labcjackson.org, or you can look us up on Facebook. Just look for Lansing Avenue Baptist Church. Uh, in those places, you'll probably be able to see or should be able to find. We also have a dial devotion where you can call and get a three-minute devotional at a certain number. Uh, it's right there in the front of our website. Also, uh, you can check out our YouTube page, our YouTube channel. We have videos up there. I haven't been uploading a whole lot recently, but you can check out uh, some of our messages that we've done uh, this last year or so. Uh, hopefully those can be an encouragement to you. And there you'll get to see the the beginnings of our, our series here in First Peter, as we started off in First Peter and uh, started the podcast up, switched over to that uh, you know, once we got into chapter three of First uh, Peter. So we kind of split on this series. But uh, again, uh, invite you to get to know us better through those means, and also come visit us here at at our in-person services, Four Thousand Lansing Avenue here in Jackson, Michigan. Love to get to know you. I'm sure we can be an encouragement to you. And uh, let us know how we can pray for you, how, what we can do to help you know Christ. And so why don't we go ahead and get into 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll look at verses 1 through 4 this week. And this is a bit of an uh, little bit odd one or an, uh, an awkward one for, for me as I get to preach to myself and to, to others in you know pastoral ministry as Peter is going to have a charge for his his fellow shepherds. But as you you maybe find your way there, the folks at our church had given me uh, or joked with me, or uh, they've been very very encouraging throughout our, our time here, giving me a a list of requirements for the the perfect pastor. Of course, they did this you know uh, with a smile, but the perfect pastor after. Uh, Hundreds of years, the perfect pastor has been found. He is the church elder who will please everyone. He preaches exactly 20 minutes, and then he sits down. He condemns sin, but never steps on anybody's toes. He works from 8 in the morning to 10 at night, doing everything from preaching sermons to sweeping. He makes $400 a week, gives $100 a week to the church, drives a late model car, buys lots of books, wears fine clothes, and has a nice family. He always stands ready to contribute to every other good cause, too, and to help panhandlers who drop by the church on their way to somewhere. He's 36 years old and has been preaching for 40 years. He is tall on the short side, heavy set in a thin sort of way, and he's handsome. He has eyes of blue or brown to fit the occasion. He, he wears his hair parted in the middle, left side dark and straight, right side black, brown and wavy. He has a burning desire to work with the youth and spends all his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time while keeping a straight face because he's a keen sense of humor that finds him seriously dedicated. He makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all his time evangelizing non-members, and is always found in his study if he is needed. Unfortunately, he burned himself out at the age of 32. That's a humorous look at some of the expectations on, on a pastor, on what he's to be like in his uh, appearance and personality, and also uh, in his as he does his job. 
and I poke fun at that. But uh, again, the church here at Lansing Avenue Baptist, they have been wonderful to myself and my wife and our, our little boy. And uh, we've uh, uh, just really appreciated the sense of family that we have here. And uh, if you're listening in and curious or, or could use some encouragement, uh, these folks are encouraging. Uh, they are a, a great group of folks to work with, uh, very loving and gracious, and uh, really want the best uh, for folks. So, um, again, just plug for our church here. Come get to know us. Uh, see the love of Christ at work. Uh, certainly, we're, we're far from perfect, as we are human, uh, but we love the Lord, love His Word, and love folks. So, uh, come get to know us. But, uh, again, a humorous look there at the uh, appearance and expectations of, of a pastor. Uh, but Peter here is going to have a charge for his fellow elders, his fellow shepherds. As we look here, again, in chapter 5, starting in verse 1, where he says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So before we get to the actual charge he gives, he tells them, I'm, I'm going to give you an exhortation, which is that uh, like a firm encouragement. Here's something I want you to do. Here's something you need to do. But before he actually tells them what that exhortation, that charge is, he's going to give them a few reasons why they should take this charge from him. Uh, one that he tells them, I who am a fellow elder. He's telling them, I'm coming to you as one of you, as a peer. Uh, he, now, he is an apostle, so he is, has a great role in the, the beginnings of the church and great responsibilities in that. But as time goes on, he's more and more of a pastor. Uh, he was a pastor there at the Church of Jerusalem. But he's writing to these folks, and he's telling them that I'm coming to you. This charge I'm about to give you is coming from a place of, I know what you're going through, uh, of I'm one of you. I understand what it is you're going through. Now, there are certain things about you know, about this sort of ministry that those on the outside just, just won't see. Just like you know, I have a sister who is a nurse, and I know the... I know the basics of what a nurse does, but I have nowhere near the the understanding of what it means to be a nurse, of uh, the day in and day out and all the details, just all the things that she goes through. Um, that, sure, I could sit and talk with her about being a nurse, but her and another nurse could have a whole different, much deeper conversation about what it means to be a nurse. And so Peter here is telling them that I'm coming to you as a fellow pastor, shepherd. I'm coming to you as a fellow elder, that I'm in this with you. And that ought to be encouraging and comforting for them as he is, uh, again, coming to them as as one of them. Again, he's an apostle, but he's not coming to them from above with that great position. He's coming to them uh, on the same level, that we're in this together. Kind of like this relationship with, you know, the church develops over the over the time as the church matures, just as you know, a, a father and son's relationship changes over time. When a, uh, a son is young, the father needs to be you know, much more direct or, or watching over the son. You know, we have a, a little boy who's 15 months old now, and you know, you're trying to make sure he's, he's not hurting himself, that he's uh, not getting into things he shouldn't, that it's just a constant task of, 
of teaching and directing and protecting. Uh, though as you know, the son gets older, the, the father can back away a bit. The relationship changes. He's still dead. That never changes. But he doesn't have to, to watch over every second as he, as he did when the son was younger. And we see that with, with Peter as he goes from... Uh, he never stopped being Apostle Peter, but he could go from you know Apostle Peter more direct to more Elder Peter, Pastor Peter, over time as the church matured, and we get to see that some here. And as he comes to these these elders to encourage them, I am coming to you as one of you. Uh, second, we see here says I exhort who I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So not only my a pastor alongside you, but also looking at my the ministry of my past, that I ministered alongside Christ, that I got to see his suffering. And that you guys are going through suffering, and I've written to you about Jesus being the perfect example of how to do how to go through suffering. I was there to watch him do that. I was there to see Christ and his humility and his love and his patience through suffering. In fact, we remember Peter's the one, you know, is in the garden, Jesus is being arrested, and Peter grabs a sword, cuts off a soldier's ear, and and Jesus rebukes him, heals the man, and, and tells Peter, if I wanted to, I could bring down legions of angels. Now, this needs to happen. And so Peter got to see firsthand um, the sufferings of Christ and the heart and attitude of Christ as he suffered. And so he could say, I, I know what you guys are going through. I've seen it in my, you know, right before my face, in Christ, the perfect example. But not only that, the third thing he tells us, as we see at the end of this verse, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. I think he's calling back to verse 13 of chapter 4, where it says, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. In other words, Peter's telling them that I have been a partaker. I have fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. And now I've suffered in my ministry just as you guys are now. So I, I know the, the pain of suffering, but I also know the, the joy and that relationship with Christ in suffering. And so again, he's coming to them with this charge he's about to give them, telling them, you guys can trust me here because I'm an elder like you are. I saw the perfect example of suffering in Christ. And I myself have gone through suffering for ministry's sake, uh, for Christ's sake. And so he should be trusted. He's, this, what he's about to say comes with a lot of weight behind it. And what is that charge that he gives? We see that at the beginning of chapter, or sorry, uh, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. He calls on them to watch over the flock as a shepherd and as an overseer. Now, one interesting thing to point out here is that Peter has used all three words that are used to refer to the office of pastor. Uh, The first word he uses at the beginning, the elders. Uh, the elder word pointed to the fact that the, the pastor is to be mature in his faith. It doesn't have to be perfect. None of us are going to be perfect. Paul himself you know, you know, tells the Philippians, I have not attained. Uh, that he's not perfect, so he pressed forward. But the, 
the pastor is to be mature in his faith, not a not a novice. Paul even warns Timothy of that, not to uh, not to even appoint you know new believers. There needs to be time of maturity. There needs to be time to learn and to grow. Paul didn't go immediately into ministry. He he learned after he trusted in Christ, and he he grew in that way. So the elder word points to the uh, maturity of the pastor, and then also the next word is shepherd. Shepherd and pastor, actually, that's just that's the same word, and it looks at the um, the watch care over over the people of the church, and then uh, the word overseer. Uh, another English word we have from this Greek word is bishop. Uh, it's the the word that points to how the pastor oversees just how the church functions, uh, sort of the administrative side of things. He's watching over the church, making sure it's doing what it ought to do, that he's uh, making sure things are running, that, that, that sort of thing. And in, this, you, in these, you see some of the function of the pastor. And we'll look at some uh, passages here to see specifically what it means to shepherd, but in these words, you can even see the, the function of the pastor in his wisdom, his care for the flock, and in his administration. Uh, I know a pastor I, I grew up under, Pastor Matson. Uh, really appreciate his his ministry in my life. Uh, he would tell me that uh, every pastor has three areas of responsibility: uh, that's preaching, and people, and administration. That. You as a pastor, because you're human, you are probably going to be good at one to two of those. You're definitely not going to be good at all three. Uh, and in reality, you know, as pastors, often we, we feel we fall short in all of them. Again, we're, we're human. We have our weaknesses, and we are often well aware of them. Uh, just, to, just a note here for those who uh, are going to church that have a pastor. A uh, great way just to encourage him is to, to let him know you're praying for him, to, to let him know you, you care for him, let him know that uh, you appreciate uh, his ministry. Um, because, you know, there, there often are times you feel like you're, you're falling short in all three of those, those areas, though you may be certainly stronger in one or two than, than the others. You know, I... I personally, the, the teaching part is more my, my favorite. Uh, I'm a little more introverted, so the people part is uh, one where I've needed to grow. And the administration part, sometimes I, I get it, sometimes I don't. <laughs> uh, but that's just me. There are all sorts of different pastors and different skill sets. And so whoever your pastor is, uh, if, you don't, if you have one, I'd just pray for him, encourage him, know that he has strengths and weaknesses uh, in these things. But uh, that's a little bit of a, a tangent here. But the charge for these shepherds is to shepherd the flock, to watch over the the church where God has put him, to uh, fulfill the responsibilities he has toward those people. And those things will fall into you know different categories, like I just mentioned: uh, teaching, uh, fellowship, uh, administration. But the, the pastor's primary responsibility is in teaching. It's in the ministry of the Word. You see that in Ephesians 4. Uh, you get into the, sort of the middle part of that passage. You see that there are gifts of teaching given, uh, one of those being the pastor-teacher. Uh, and his job in the church is to equip the saints for ministry. 
uh, to help people to be able to learn and grow in their walk with the Lord so they're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, so that they are able to be in ministry themselves. Uh, the pastor is not to, to do it all and everybody else sit on the sideline, but the pastor is to equip people to be a part of ministry. Give them the, the tools uh, that they need to, to serve the Lord uh, faithfully and effectively. And so the teaching ministry is so important for people and their discipleship and their, their growth. Uh, teaching is also really important for protection. Uh, you know, Paul, as he talks to Timothy in you know, First and Second Timothy, uh, he's telling them, well, in First Timothy, you know, fight the good fight of faith. You know, protect the truth. Uh, protect people from you know, false doctrine. Help people stay on the right path with those things. Uh, teach them the word. Um, he re reinstates it or you know reiterates it in second timothy all while also encouraging timothy just to keep going stay faithful even though it's tough um second timothy 2:15 you know one of our we do this versus our, our kids here in our monday night program uh where it's you know second timothy 2:15 to uh study to show yourself approved to god a workman who needs not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth that the the pastor, or any of us as believers, but certainly the pastor, uh, is to be able to understand, explain, and live by the word clearly. And so there's this protection of doctrine. Uh, that's a big function of the church as a whole, and certainly of the pastor as as its lead. And it's also a, a protection for the, the individual, the people, so that they know the word clearly and know what it actually says and calls for them to be. And so, again, teaching for discipleship, protection. Uh, there's also going to be you know, pastoral care. Or maybe before I go on, I should mention also Acts 20 uh, with the protection part of teaching. Paul calls on the, the Ephesus elders to you know, watch out because there are going to be wolves coming. You know, in other words, false teachers. And Paul addresses them in, in his letters often. Uh, note those churches were going to dealing with false teachers and even you know Peter deals with that some secondly or certainly in second Peter deals with false teachers but there's this charge for them to protect the flock from wolves or false teachers those who come telling them things they want to hear or come putting things on top of the gospel or any sort of thing like that because he's to preach the clear truth that though I come into this world as a sinner separated from God I can be forgiven, I can be made right with God, I can be in heaven with him forever because I've trusted in Christ who died for me on the cross to pay for my sin and who rose again to conquer death. That through faith in him alone I am made right with God. That gospel, he is to protect, he is to teach, he is to live. And so certainly the the teaching ministry, that protection ministry, there's also pastoral care. Uh, You see ministries... um, in the word that are you know, the pastors involved, but certainly there are ministries of the church as a whole too, but ministry to the fatherless and widows and those sorts of things to, to care for those who, who need help. Uh, so fellowship, encouragement, relationship building, those things are important for a pastor also. And then also the administrative side of things that, you know, he is to, to lead uh, in just the church's functions. And we'll look more and, at that as we go here, because there are certainly ways to not do that, as Peter will address. But these things call us to call pastors to to shepherd the flock 
of God. And one interesting thing that I, I in some of my study here, uh, found was a a parallel uh, to Ezekiel 34, where you know, shepherds of, of Israel were called out for being poor shepherds. Now, just to note, Israel and the church are two separate separate bodies, uh, though some would disagree with that. That's just what I, I believe in my understanding of the Scriptures. And But this picture here, uh, I think Peter is drawing on it for, for these elders, these pastors. Uh, and in, I won't read the whole chapter, but you can see a parallel between these verses in Ephesians, or sorry, First Peter five, and here in Ezekiel thirty-four. But you see it as these things like, you know, the shepherd is supposed to strengthen the weak, heal the sick, and bind the injured, uh, bring back strays, search for the lost, those sorts of things. Though they weren't doing that, and they're called out for it. And we see a call for you know, Peter here and his these elders to shepherd the flock, to watch out for the flock. Uh, to do as a shepherd would, you know, an actual literal shepherd, you know, he's protecting the sheep. If a sheep is lost, he goes to find the sheep. If a, a sheep needs help, he gets the sheep uh, you know, out of that situation. That uh, he's watching out over the flock to make sure they're fed, to make sure they're protected, uh, to watch over them, to care for them. Also in Ezekiel thirty-four, you can see that you know God condemning shepherds who profit material uh, in a material way. Uh, in their role as a shepherd, even though that's not their their role, they're not to be selfish or self-centered in this. And First Peter is going to urge his elders to not serve for financial gain or personal gain either. Uh, we see uh, a rebuke for shepherds in Ezekiel thirty-four who rule harshly or brutally, and we also see this in First Peter five three, where they're told not to lord over the flock but be examples. So I'd encourage you go check out uh, Ezekiel thirty-four. Uh, that, that'll be a help there too, and how the shepherd ought to be toward a sheep, as we see a rebuke of shepherds in that passage. But back to to First Peter chapter five. I'll find my own way back here. First Peter chapter five. That charge is to shepherd the flock. Again, that involves teaching, protection, personal care, administration. It involves all these things to watch over the flock to make sure it has what it needs, uh, whether it be the you know the the food of the word or just the the help to function, to help to go through trials, whatever the church needs. He's he is to be there for it. Uh, but he gives them. It was sort of uh, motivations, helps to to do this properly, the right sort of heart in in pastoring the church. And we're going to look at four of these here in this passage. Uh, the first one uh, you'll see in verse 2, uh, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. That the, the pastor's he's not to be in ministry because he feels like he has to be that this isn't something that's not to be done just out of a sense of, you know, I have to, obligation, duty, uh, where there's no heart involved. Not to do this out of a sense of, you know, pressure from family or from the school he went to or whatever it might be, uh, but it's to be out of a heart of willingness. Now, I'm sure there are going to be days that are difficult for uh 
anybody. Uh, but there's going to be days that are difficult for the pastor where it's harder for him to do this with that, that excited, willing heart. Uh, just as you know, we've got a couple of folks here in our church that teach math at, a, at a, one of the schools in the area. And I'm sure there are days that they, they love their job. I'm sure they're, they're, they're always passionate about their students. Uh, and they've been doing it quite a while, and uh, they're effective at it. But I'm sure there are days where it's tougher to walk into the classroom. It's tougher to deal with maybe this particular group of, of students or just this paperwork that needs done or whatever else it might be. There are going to be times that are tougher to, to do this. But we're, that's just a part of ministry. It's a part of being human. But the pastor is to you know, check his motives, that why am I doing what I'm doing? I am not to, to minister to this person in front of me because I feel like I have to. I should minister to this person because I'm grateful for what the Lord has done in my life through the gospel, that I love my God and I love this person that God loves. And I want to see God at work here. And I'm, I want to be a faithful, grateful servant. That that ought to, to motivate uh, the pastor, not the thought of, I just I have to do this. I have to do it or I will feel bad or <laughs> uh, no guilt sort of thing. Or I have to do this because there's social pressure on me. Or I have to do this because this is just, you know, this is what my dad and grandpa and all that did before me. That there shouldn't be this sense of, I have to do this. But instead of, I get to do this. I get to serve my Lord in this way. Uh, he's to do this willingly with that sort of heart and attitude. Now, again, there are going to be days your pastor's going to have to, uh, you know, kind of buckle up and to uh, to minister through hard things. Uh, and I'd say pray for him, encourage him uh, in those. But he's not to be in the ministry by compulsion, but it ought to be willingly. Uh, this is a a privilege that you know pastors have to study to fellowship, to lead, and all of this as, you know, his, his day-to-day work. Uh, that's a privilege. That's an honor. Uh, and so he ought to not be in that privileged position out of compulsion, but, again, willingly. And the, similar to that, you know, we also see this in verse 2, at the end of the verse, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. That the, the shepherd isn't to be in the ministry for personal gain. Uh, there are definitely perks to pastoral ministry that, you know, there are certainly pastors, there are ups and downs of it, there are difficult things, there are great things. Um, there are churches where they, you know, treat pastors very well. There are other churches where they, you know, destroy pastors. There are uh, pastors that are... Uh, uh, run down because of all the expectations or pastors that are constantly complained at without any understanding. There are all sorts of things that they deal with. There are also churches that are very understanding and very generous and very helpful. Uh, you know, I, I right here at Lansing Avenue Baptist Church, these folks are uh, very, very loving and supportive and uh, not a, not a better work to, not a better group of people to work with uh, as a pastor, but there are uh, certainly ups and downs of, of ministry and a pastor is not to take advantage of the flock, not to take advantage of their generosity. Because, uh, you know, there are people that want to be kind to a pastor because he's in ministry. There are certainly sacrifices to that, and uh, and they appreciate what he's doing, and his family, too. Uh, I know for, for us, you know, when our son came along, he's uh, came along 
somewhat suddenly. We waited a long time because we were in line for adoption, but he, we got a phone call, and that day we went to meet him. He was two days old, and all of a sudden we got a little guy uh, that we're caring for. And so the church came in big, and they helped us out with so much stuff. And we didn't have to buy diapers for months. It was just it was amazing. Uh, the church is very giving, and we're so grateful for that. But we want to appreciate that, that hospitality the church shows toward us, that generosity toward us, but we don't want to take advantage of it. It would be wrong for us just to expect people uh, to do things for us because I'm the pastor. That's not the attitude the shepherd is to have. The church isn't here to serve him. He is here to serve the church. And that's really anybody. That ought to be our attitude. The church isn't here to serve me, that I'm here to serve the church. Uh, I'm here to, to serve the Lord as part of the church. And when we have that attitude, that humility, that, that helps the whole church work together, and we're all, we can all be encouraged, we can all be discipled, we all learn and grow together. But certainly, uh, the role of the shepherd isn't one of taking advantage of the sheep. And so he's not to be in this for his, his personal gain. I think we, we see examples of that around with you know, pastors telling people what they want to hear, you know, tickling the ears and being paid very well for it, um, giant buildings, fancy cars, personal planes, all that sort of good stuff. Uh, and that's not the, the role of a pastor. Um, now, it doesn't mean a pastor can't have nice things. Uh, you ought to be grateful for the Lord's provision, watch care, be a good steward. Um, be generous, uh, but it doesn't mean you can't have a, a nice thing. Though I know there are pastors that whenever there is a purchase of something, there's often that thought of, I hope I hope this looks okay to the church, or I hope or that ought to be you know, something the pastor ought to think of, ought to be conscious of, uh, whether it's how big your TV is or what sort of car you drive or uh, whatever it is. Uh, you want the church to know that you are being a good steward of how the church is providing for you. Uh, that's a good thing for a pastor just to ask. But it's also good for the church to be understanding that, you know, again, he's this pastor is human, uh, that he has interest. You know, maybe he's, maybe for a hobby, he enjoys cars. So he might invest a little bit more in a car than someone else might, that someone else might you know, put into another hobby somewhere else. Uh, maybe they've got a nice workshop in their garage, or maybe they're really into sports. They invest in that instead and all sorts of things. But the pastor is human, and the church can be understanding of that. But again, the charge here is you're not in this for personal gain. You're not in this for money or material things. You're in this to serve the Lord. And you're going to do this not for your personal gain, but as he says here, eagerly, that this is to be a passion for you. That you are first a servant of God, and then you're a pastor of the church, and you get to, to serve with these people. And so... Be careful, pastors, of why you are in ministry, why you stay in ministry. Um, you know, one side of things, you know, we can see the you know, the places with the big fancy stuff where the money you know, is rolling in because people are being told what they want to hear, all that good stuff. But on the other side, on the smaller scale, pastors have to be careful not to just go through the motions because they've got their comfortable salary and they're they're comfortable house. It's not the fanciest, but they're, again, they're comfy. Um, the passion is to be in service of the Lord, uh, in service in the church. But on the, that sort of note, we ought to even ask the question, why, why do we pay a pastor? Because we don't want the pastor to be motivated by money in that ministry, so why is there money involved? 
the idea is that you know the church pays the pastor so he can do the ministry without you know that hindrance of having to put food on the table in other ways. Uh, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. In other words, pay the pastor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So a couple of principles there. You know, you don't you know, make it more more difficult for the ox to do his job, uh, and you also recognize the the labor that goes into uh, a job. There is work in pastoral ministry, uh, so a church should recognize that and be grateful for that. Uh, and at the same time, the church shouldn't put obstacles in the pastor's way to ministry, uh, which can happen through you know, sometimes there's a, there's a joke, or I'm sure it's happened. You, you know, the salary's low to make sure your pastor's humble, uh, but the idea is that we take care of the pastor so that he can focus on the ministry. And certainly, you'll know, focus on being a husband and father and all that good stuff because that even comes before him being a pastor. But, but to make sure that he's not so worried about you know, where the next meal is going to come from, that he can focus on study and prayer and fellowship and you know, making sure the church has what it needs to function. And so that's why a, a pastor is to, to be paid. Uh, he's to be, in a sense, taking care of the best the church can. Um, now, pastors shouldn't be looking to be wealthy. Uh, churches shouldn't be looking to keep them poor. Uh, but there should be you know, working together to make sure that he can do his ministry. And he's not hindered in that. It's a help to him, and it's also a help to the church when it's done that way. You know, A similar idea is seen in even... The reason why the church has deacons. Deacons are functioning. You see Acts 6, the first deacons are uh, appointed or installed there. That their purpose was to you know, watch over ministries of the church so that the, the pastors could focus on their primary ministries of you know, preaching and prayer, of, of the ministries of the word. And so there's this idea of help him do his Help him do his job. Help him be successful at his job. It's, again, good for him, and it's good for the church. Um, but the pastor ought to often check his motives so that he is not motivated by personal gain, whether that be in a salary or whether it be in you know just the generosity of individuals. Um, but on a side note, along with that, I would encourage you that um, with your pastor, your church, you know, again, pray for him, encourage him, uh, find out things he enjoys, and you know, if he likes chocolate chip cookies, you know, give him some chocolate chip cookies. Unless, of course, he's trying to, to lose some weight, that makes it a little harder. But the find out ways to be an encouragement. None of the folks here at our church have have done that for for me and for my family, and it's been uh, it's been great uh, just to to work alongside them, be encouraged by. Uh, words of theirs by prayers, by cards, by uh, you know just a little little token here and there that hey we care about you guys we're uh, we're praying for you we're here for you um, and that sort of thing. So uh, pray for your pastor, encourage your pastor, uh, support your pastor. But uh, as the pastor, uh, if that's you, you have to make sure you are not motivated by personal gain. Check your motives. Uh, make sure it's not by compulsion. Make sure it's not for dishonest gain. Uh, but love God, love others, 
Preach the word and be humble. Uh, next we see in verse 3 that this ministry of the, the pastor of shepherding is not to be as you know, a lord over the church, but as an example. Verse 3, Nor is being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now the pastor is not to... He's not to be a dictator, that he's not to be a master over people, that it certainly isn't, you know, you know, borrow the old phrase, his way or the highway sort of idea, that he doesn't carry authority in and of himself, and he's not to act like he does. Now that brings up an important question for the church. You know, where is authority in the church? How do you handle authority in the church? Uh, and the, the answer to that is the authority is in the scriptures, that the Bible is the authority of the church. And the pastor, his job is not to mold the church in his image, but his job is to teach the word, to lead through the word, to apply the word to whatever it is the church is dealing with and going through. Um, that that's where he gets his authority. That as he makes decisions, he, you know, can look to the word. Here's why we're doing this. Here's where you know, our philosophy of this part of ministry comes from. Here's you know, the command of Scripture that you know, directs us and how we ought to handle you know, the budget. Here's how it ought, we ought to handle the, the kids' ministry. Here's how we ought to handle it based on this principle of, of Scripture or that. Uh, that. He's to lead through the word. Now, the word doesn't give us... you know, Exact details. Here's how much you should spend on pews or chairs, or here's how what color uh, the wall should be, or any of that stuff. But the pastor, as those things come up, now it's certainly not on him to to make all those decisions. And and really, that's as we talked before. Uh, his job primarily is through the word, uh, so he should be focused on that. And and people can help him to do that by helping him through those all those decisions. And your church may have. One way or another that you've designed to, to make those decisions, there's all sorts of ways churches have come up to do it. We have, uh, we're have, we a congregational form of, of government here uh, where we make decisions as a, as a group on different levels depending on what it is. But, but the, the way we go through those things, the pastor, or as I see my job, when we would decide you know, several years ago, what color are these pews going to be when we get them reupholstered? Uh, my job there wasn't to pick the color, but my job there was to make sure that people went through that process of picking the color in a way that honored Christ, in a way that was humble and loving and uh, looking for you know the best for the church, not just for an individual, uh, those sorts of things, to apply principles to each thing. And the same thing when it comes up to, to budget time each year. You know, I'm personally not a... Not a math guy. I mean, I I did it in school and all that stuff. Use it here and there, but that's just um, numbers come up, and that's just not how I'm wired. Uh, but I help out. I'm there, and my job there is to you know watch, make sure we're we're working together. We're we're doing this in a way that is you know being good stewards of what we have, with our goals setting for you know ways to honor the Lord and stay true to our mission as a church, and those sorts of leading in the the spiritual side of these decisions to be made. Now, other pastors may explain it differently or do it a little different, but you know, the, the pastor's main job in the church involves the Scriptures, teaching the Scriptures, living the Scriptures, guiding the church according to the Scriptures. And so uh, he is to 
exercise his authority according to the word. Uh, again, it's the church is not here to serve the pastor. Uh, the church is to serve Christ, its head. And the pastor is to help the church do that, uh, to guide the church in doing that. And the word is the standard he holds up to do that. And so that's where the authority in the church really is. And a pastor that isn't pointing to the word is doing the job wrong, and is pointing to the wrong place, and and putting himself up too high. Uh, the pastor is a servant. The pastor is serving Christ as he serves the church. And the way he serves the church is through leading by the word. Um, and you can get a lot more detailed than that, and exactly how it's done in different situations, but that's where the authority is for the church. It's in the word. And so the pastor is not to lord over the people, but he is to serve the people as an example. He is to be like Paul, who would tell the Philippians, you know, he told the Philippians in chapter 3 of Philippians, you know, here is my, my goal, and my goal is to know Christ, to serve him. I press forward toward that. I know I'm not perfect, but I press toward this, this mark of knowing Christ. And he tells the church, I want you to follow my example, and I want you to note other people who do the same, that you follow good examples. And that's what, how Paul led, and that's how you and I are to lead as well. Certainly as a, as a pastor, he is to lead through teaching the Word and through living the Word. So not lording over, not being a, a master or a lord or a dictator. Remember, you are not there to worship the pastor. Uh, the pastor is to help you in worshiping the Lord. Uh, but you ought to be supportive, ought to be helping, ought to be a part of what's going on, uh, that there's a great relationship there between shepherd and flock. And again, I just can't say enough good about our church here, uh, that I think we've struck a, a great way of, of handling it, that I do my best to not try and... I definitely don't want to run over anybody. I want to know what people think. I, I want to know uh, where people are in this or that, and to lead with people. And the church has been great uh, that they are not going to boss me around or, or run me over. They're going to allow me to, to, to lead through the Word and be gracious as they do that. And it's just been uh, great in that. So don't be a Lord. Be an example. And finally, verse 4, uh, And when the chief shepherd, Christ, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. What Peter is telling the shepherds here, these pastors, is... Serve looking forward to your reward from Christ. Knowing that if you are faithful in these things, you follow what I just told you, you will be rewarded in a way that really matters, in a reward that will not be taken away. The one that comes from the one who you want to please most of all, Christ, the chief shepherd. Now the pastor will have you know, praise and complaints you know, throughout his ministry. Partially because some things he'll do well, some things he won't. Uh, so sometimes the praise will be uh, you know, right, and sometimes the complaint will be right. Uh, then there are other cases where you know, things are fake on both sides, and uh, the praise isn't real, the complaints are, are off base. But either way, whatever's going on, the shepherd's motivation is to be eternal, is to please his Savior not to have things of this life, not to have people think of him certain ways now, but he's to be faithfully serving so that he might hear Christ say, well done. So what motivates you? 
whether you are a, a pastor in ministry or you're just somebody in church who has a different sort of ministry, what motivates you in that ministry? Certainly these charges are directed at pastors specifically, but the principles there are good for any of us in ministry. But what really motivates us? What ought to motivate us is, again, to please our Savior, to see God use us in ministry, the the gratitude that we have for how he's worked in our hearts and lives. So serve the Lord faithfully, serve the Lord humbly, serve the Lord with love and with grace. And for shepherds, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you serving as overseers.